Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. I am reading Luke 1, verses 46 through 55, Mary's song of praise. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generations to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's travel back in time for a moment to the year 1847, the year that saw the births of Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, and Jesse James. It's the year where the U.S. Postal Service introduced its very first postal stamp, and Samuel Colt sold his first revolver to the U.S. government. Frederick Douglass publishes The North Star to educate Northerners against slavery. Brigham Young and fellow explorers establish Salt Lake City in Utah. Charlotte, Emily, and Anne Bronte each publish novels. Liberia is founded on the western coast of Africa. The Mexican-American War continues, and in France, Adolphe Adam was setting the words to Placide Capot's Minuet Christiens to lyrical form, crafting a beautiful and controversial carol to be titled Cantique de Noël. Adam wrote the lyrics on the eve of a season of revolution taking place across Europe, a time when people were rising up to move from ancient monarchies towards more democratic governance and greater help and protections for the working class of people. Because cultural sensitivities at the time were very high around things like economic class differences and political and class-based conflict, when Capot's words were set to music, and as people understood both Capot and Adam to be aligned with the people who were in the working class cause, those in the established church rightly identified some phrasing that they would consider to be at least prophetic against, if not antagonistic towards the ruling elite. In a literal translation of Capot's poem, the words read, People kneel down, await your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. May the ardent light of our faith guide us all to the cradle of the infant, as in ancient times, a brilliant star guided the oriental kings there. The king of kings was born in a humble manger. O mighty ones today, proud of your greatness, it is to your pride that God preaches. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. 
bow your heads before the Redeemer. In essence, these lyrics were informing the humble that their God's deliverance is coming and informing the haughty and proud that they will ultimately kneel down and bow their heads before the same manger-born Savior who elevates the humble. And as you might imagine, that message was not always well-received in established churches with great acceptance and popularity. It was seen as divisive, stirring up strife and causing needless trouble against the religious sensibilities of the day. And this isn't even the most controversial part of the song. We'll save that for next week. It's not the first time we've learned that a now-beloved hymn was once criticized as shallow, out of touch, or too problematic for good religious sensibilities. One of the things I appreciate about stories like this is I know the lyrics, nearly every word to these controversial songs, but I wouldn't remember the name of one of the critics, even if it was an answer on a double jeopardy. Cantique de Noël, For Us, O Holy Night, functioned at the time much like the Magnificat song of Mary when she was with her cousin Elizabeth and hearing confirmation about what the angel told her of the child she was carrying. So let's hear what it is that Mary's song proclaims. Our first lesson is this. The humble do not escape God's notice. The humble do not escape God's notice. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's a question that Nathaniel, a young man who was friends with a guy named Philip, was asking when he was told about this guy named Jesus. Philip came to Nathaniel to tell him about this man he had met that seemed powerful, that seemed to be of God, and Nathaniel's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's Mary's hometown, of course. That's Nazareth's reputation at the time, a humble little community of laborers outside of the fishing ports of Galilee and a little bit away from a lavish Roman city called Sephoris that probably kept the wood and stone craftsmen from Nazareth busy and employed. It would have been one of the rest stops on the walking path from the Mediterranean to the Sea of Galilee if you were desperate. Probably the best things that Nazareth had going for it at that point were its workers and its proximity to places that people actually thought mattered. It's no understatement that Nazareth would have been considered humble. And Mary, a young maiden who would have been seen as the property of her parents until such a time that she was bartered away to become the property of her husband, was a humble young lady. We see signs of her becoming eventually more and more confident as a leader at the wedding of Cana when she instructs Jesus to take care of the wine problem that the family was having. But up until that point, we see her kind, vulnerable faithfulness to the one that God, to the God who not only notices her, but calls her favored one. Favored one. Uh, a couple of years ago, Around this time, my daughter Lily received the gift of two tickets to go see Leslie Odom Jr. do a Christmas concert at Powell Symphony Hall. Remember concerts? Those were fun, weren't they? 
I got to be her chauffeur and her concert companion that evening, and even with a bit of a cold that night, Leslie Odom Jr. still put on a stellar performance that reminded us all why he is a Tony Award-winning vocalist. It's hard to believe that Lily was possibly around the age of a young Mary at the time when we went to go see this show, and as is my practice at such events, Lily and I camped out at the stage door a little bit in hopes of getting a chance to greet the headline performer, thank him for sharing his gifts, and so Lily might maybe get a picture and an autograph. And we weren't certain it was possible because Leslie was already spending a lot of time with people who paid for VIP experience tickets, and we were most certainly not VIPs. And since he was sick, we didn't want to tax his time any more than people already had that evening. But after a decent wait, out came Leslie Odom Jr. And though I'm sure he was feeling exhausted and even a bit puny, he put on a huge smile, looked straight at Lily, and said, Hello, darling. And I swear, her feet left the ground for a while. One of her absolute favorite artists showed her kindness that the relationship dynamics of the moment didn't require of him at all. He asked if we could take a picture together, asked if she had anything she wanted him to sign, and gave us more attention on a frigid evening than he needed to. And remember, he called her darling. Win all the Tonys you want, buddy, but when you go out of your way to make one of my kids feel special, you earn superstar status in my book for a while. The guy who originated the role of Aaron Burr in Hamilton on Broadway is a bit of a big deal for certain, and his kindness towards those of us who were not big spenders was pretty sweet. So imagine what it would be like for the messenger who was the very voice of God's will to stop by the middle of nowhere to greet some humble teenage girl with the news that the Lord had taken notice of her and that she was highly favored by Yahweh, the sovereign God of Israel. She might have felt like her feet had left the ground for a little while. But Mary was also firmly rooted in an understanding of her context. In having confirmation from Elizabeth about what God was doing through the child that Mary's carrying, Mary knew that it wasn't just the lowly servant girl being noticed by the Lord but all the humble and meek who had been struggling unnoticed, wondering if their God had seen them or even knew who they were. And Mary was carrying in her womb God's resounding yes to that wondering. Yes, the humble were seen. Yes, the lowly were noticed with compassion. Yes, God was not just watching people suffer, but bringing to fruition the redemption of their sorrows and their struggling. And that is still true today. Especially in the isolation of this time, I know there are many people who wonder if they're seen, if anyone notices, if anyone cares or has compassion on their struggles. Yes. Christmas is God saying yes to your wondering. Am I seen? The lowly servant girl receiving God's greeting of favored one says yes. Am I noticed? The town from which nothing good would supposedly come tells us that absolutely you are not living in obscurity. Does anyone look upon me with compassion? The God who breaks into time and space to embody mercy for countless generations says yes. 
Your God desires for you to know the consolation and comfort of the presence of Jesus. This is good news for the humble. But as Mary's song goes on, it can get a little scary for the prideful. That takes us to our second lesson. What pride corrupts, Jesus corrects. What pride corrupts, Jesus corrects. Mary's song continues. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Across the street from the church, there's a large plot of land that went from what looked like a bit of a floodplain to something like a plateau over the course of about a year. It basically became a dumping ground for an excavation. They needed to remove some soil from one location, and since there was such a wide open space, that soil was relocated across Marine Road, across from the church building, and a lot of red dirt came from, I think, across town, some sort of construction they were doing on 157. And it looks nice over there, I suppose. I imagine it will make that land useful for something, though I'm not exactly sure what. Basically what happened was, One hill turned into a plain at the same time that a depression turned into a plain. It was a bit of a redistribution in order to balance things out. That's not necessarily how things have to work in the kingdom of God. It's not a zero-sum gain where one person's gain is necessarily another person's loss. God deals with abundance to an infinite power. And in order to bless and provide for those who are without... God's economics don't require that someone else loses. However, in order to help correct those who consider themselves without a need for grace or above divine justice, God will from time to time humble those whose prides and arrogance causes harm to themselves and harm to others, especially those who are most vulnerable. Please understand that God does not do this out of spite. Even when the proud are humbled, it's done as an act of love by a God whose heart breaks when the humble and meek are abused and when the proud and haughty let their sense of compassion die. It's not the way we're created to treat one another as image bearers of our God. Pride is a trap. How? Pride never confesses a need for help. Pride is so self-sufficient and image-conscious that failures and faults are first of all not admitted and secondly leave no room for the type of grace that God offers to rescue humanity when we do fall. Pride cuts itself off from the power that God offers to rescue humanity when we fail. Cuts itself off from the powerful God who reminds us of how small, weak, and reliant we truly are. Pride will not surrender the steering wheel. Pride will not step off the throne. Pride won't let go of the shovel, even when the hole is finally deep enough to confess the mess that we've made of our lives, and we need the strength that we don't possess in order to be rescued from our short-sighted arrogance. And God doesn't have to tear us down for us to experience humility. But God will not always prevent us from experiencing the natural consequences of our actions which may result in humility. But this part of Mary's song reminds us that God has sent a Savior into the world 
to lift us from the holes that we even dig for ourselves so we don't have to remain in the pit. We can get back on solid ground again. Solid ground, but not so high that we're looking down on others. This is the freedom song Mary sings. Chains broken for the meek, living in lower caste humiliation, and chains broken for the arrogant, who need more than help, that more help than what pride allows them to admit. And God helps us to know what variety of liberty we need in our lives. God helps us know. Our third lesson this morning is this. How we respond to this stable-born Savior helps diagnose the pride in our lives. How we respond to the stable-born Savior helps diagnose the pride in our lives. The story of the birth of Jesus we read in Luke chapter 2 because Joseph was a descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and he took with him Mary to whom he was engaged who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in snugly strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This story has a bit of a French Prince of Bel-Air feel to it, but instead of West Philly, Joseph is living in lowly Nazareth, but his family roots are from the original homestead of the great King David, and he is related to the highly esteemed royal line of Israel. Only instead of being welcomed by Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv, or anybody for that matter, Joseph had nobody to welcome him and his obviously pregnant fiance to town when they arrived. We're reminded that God's version of exalting doesn't always come with creature comforts. Mary was chosen to be the mother of Emmanuel, of God come to be with us. Joseph was chosen to be the earthly father and caregiver to Jesus and Mary, and you'd think that God would have set them up with the finest labor and delivery suite available at Bethlehem First Medical Center. But instead, the Holy Family found shelter in the type of cave that housed animals like sheep pens that we talked about last week. The pure and spotless one was born into a scandalous situation, the Lamb of God born in a stable, the bread of life placed in a feeding trough, the light of the world born in obscurity and darkness, the source of all life wrapped snugly in cloths like prepared for a grave. The very Prince of Peace wasn't forcibly removed from his throne, but he stepped down from the throne of heaven's glory in order to exalt the humble. No place was prepared for him, but he has promised to prepare a place for us in eternity. And every year when we're faced with this paradox of an infant king, we're once again invited to respond. Will we fall on our knees? Will we bow our heads? As the tiny vulnerability of our God-made flesh is brought front and center again, will we confess our vulnerability, our helplessness? Will we make room for the Son of God in our household, in our hearts? Will we accept the promise of his invitation that Jesus will make a place for us if we surrender and submit to the Lord? Will we let ourselves be placed on the solid footing of equal ground with other image bearers of our God? Or will we try to keep ourselves perched above others, 
or let pride keep us in pits when we desperately need rescue. Jesus came to set us free. And in our freedom from conceit, hubris, and arrogance, we have the chance to pass freedom on to others. Like, O Holy Night, Mary's song, Magnifying the Lord, invites us to let God break the chains of pride. The birth of Jesus embodies the heart of God to break those chains. To the humble and to the proud both, the Holy Spirit invites us together. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the grace of hearing the stories of Christ, the Savior, the Lord, the the glorified one who stepped down from the eternal worship and praise of the heavenly courts and entered into this world where he was rejected, humiliated, often despised. God, were it not for the humble heart of Jesus, we wouldn't know this gift of salvation. And if we're to boast of anything, it's not about ourselves, but to boast in what Jesus has done on our behalf. It's nothing we could earn. It's a gift we can freely receive and a gift that we get to share. Help us respond well to this paradox of an infant king so that we might experience the humbleness of the Lord who loves us and who created us in that love. We thank you for this marvelous gift and for the songs that we sing that remind our hearts of who you are and the good that you have in store. All this we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.